Well, thank you, Mike. So good to be with you folks today and to be able to share with you. Um, you know, I, I grew up in Chicago, and Wrigley Field is known as the Holy Land. So I don't, I don't know about Seattle. I, I don't know if you can even come close to that. <laughs> well, we did have one year, 2016. Out of 100 and, let's see how many, is it 115 years, that's not too bad, right? <laughs> well, good to be able to share with you. I give you greetings from Hope International University, Pacific Christian College, as many of you would know it as. Uh, our president, Dr. Paul Alexander, extends his, his greetings, his thanks for the love and support that the church has given in, in years uh, past and present. And so it's just so good to be able to come and share and to be with you and to worship with you today. Uh, years ago, you may have remembered a, a quote from Winston Churchill. And I, I did a little research and I found out it's a little bit taken out of context where it was a matter of he, the story is told that he goes to a graduation and he speaks and he just says, never, 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 ever give up. And then he sits down and everybody's just kind of shocked. And that's only partially true. The one thing he doesn't say, never give up. He says, never give in, as I'm going to show you in a moment. The other part of it is there was more to the speech than that. Not a whole lot. It was still a short speech. You wish my sermon would be that short, as a matter of fact. I think it was like four minutes and 12 seconds. And so it was a short speech, but it wasn't just that. But I want to look at the words that he did say and uh, think about them for a moment in regard to the scripture I'm going to share with you as well. So here, here's what he actually said in part, and it wasn't the very end of his message. It was about uh, two-thirds of the way through it, where he says, never give in. Never give in, never, never, never in nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. And I want to take that concept and apply it in regard to our faith, is that my encouragement to you today is that you would never give in and you would never give up to change the wording as we've commonly thought of it, in regard to Christ and the church. In the last 25 years, 40 million Christians have quit attending church. And today I want to talk about diffusing defection, because that has been paramount in Christianity in America and and, and other, some parts of the world, although surprisingly, there's some parts of the world that are really growing in regard to Christianity. In, in China, for instance, you know, it's estimated that there are 120 to 150 million Christians in China. Now, most of them are kind of underground because of the situation they're in. In, in March, my wife and I were able to help lead a group to go to Israel and Jordan, and then afterwards, I went to Egypt and taught a class to 60 pastors and uh, church leaders in Egypt. And the ministry that we were connected with there, they had a vacation Bible school across Egypt last year and had 40,000 children in vacation Bible school in Egypt. Now, you're not going to hear about that in the news, but God is at work. And people, even under difficult circumstances like those people are in, are not giving in or giving up in spite of the 
persecutions and the difficulties they've had. And so I want to encourage you in that regard so that we would not have that happen because it's, it's happening everywhere. Maybe you're struggling with that, saying you're having doubts about your faith. And, and I want to give you a little encouragement in that, that I, I don't know about you, Mike, but that's been a story of my life through the years. You know, I've been in ministry. Uh, I was asked beforehand, uh, before the service, I've been in professional ministry for 55 years now. April 12th was my anniversary, 55 years. And I can honestly swear... <laughs> that in those 55 years, I've quit 500 times. <laughs> and that's not an exaggeration, because there becomes times you get discouraged, or you think, is this really worth it or not? And about every decade, I have a, a, not a big faith crisis, but I have a little bit of a crisis. And I wonder, is God really real? Is this really real? Is the Scripture really what I've always believed it to be? And so those times of doubts kind of come. And so maybe you're in one of those times when you're, you're doubting or questioning or wondering or ready to think about giving up, and I just want to encourage you to never, never give in, never, never give up, because Christ in the church is better than any alternative that we might turn to. So I'm going to take two verses today from the book of Hebrews. Kind of unusual just to take two verses out, and I don't want to take them out of context. I want to give you a context of them, and it's the whole book of Hebrews. Hebrews is a tough book to read through, as a matter of fact. <laughs> I, I taught this years ago in an interterm class at the university, and a, a couple young ladies gave me a coffee mug. It says, God loves coffee. On one side, on the other side, it says, because he, he Hebrews it. <laughs> so the book of Hebrews has some difficult things because there's a lot of Old Testament stuff in it. And it's that way because he's writing to Jewish people who knew all that Old Testament stuff, and therefore this meant something to him. And this is the bottom line of Hebrews Hebrews is written to diffuse defection because these people were Jewish people who had become Christians. Now they're questioning their faith and they're ready to go back to their old lifestyle again, to give up on Christ in the church. And the writer of Hebrews says, don't do that. Christ in the church is better and better and better. And so he gives examples of whether it be the, the temple or sacrifice or the law or circumcision or other Jewish traditions. He says, don't go back to that because Christ in the church is better. And whatever it is that you or somebody you know might be going back to, it might be an old lifestyle, a destructive lifestyle, or it might just be one of, of self-indulgence or just looking out for yourself rather than caring about other people and of having a relationship with God. Whatever it is, the message of Hebrews is the same to us, is don't go back because Christ and the church is better, 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 better. So with that in mind, I'm just going to look at two verses to get some helps to diffuse defection within my own life, within the lives of other people that I care about, and of the life of the church, and particularly Oak Park Christian Church here in Grover Beach. Let's see what it says in Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, 
but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. First of all, he begins by saying, let us consider, let, let's think. So you know, let's try to do that. It's a Sunday morning, a little difficult, but it's not too bad. You know, it's about 1030 almost. And so maybe we've awakened. So he says, let us think. And as he does that, he says, let us maybe think about others as well as ourselves. And let's contemplate this concept of what we can do. He says, let's spur one another on. The, the translators of the New International Version used the word spur because it was carried the idea of, of, of somebody riding a horse and spurring the horse to get it to move and to go forward. So he's saying, let's see how we can spur one another, how we can kick one another up to, to accomplish something. But I, I like the translation of the uh, uh, old King James here. He says, let us provoke one another. So that's our first help to diffuse affection. Let's provoke. And the, the word means to, be, to incite, to exasperate, to irritate. You know what? In the church, we're pretty good at that. <laughs> pretty good at irritating and provoking and exciting one another. I, I heard stories from back in the early in the 20th century. You know, there was a church that split because the pastor wanted to have indoor plumbing in the church building. And so you had the in-house people and you had the outhouse people. And the church split over that kind of decision. Back in the day, some of you remember when there used to be choirs, and choirs with choir robes. And there were churches that split because of the decision of what color the choir robes are going to be. Now, these are matters that are pretty essential to the faith, aren't they? Now, 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 certainly we might all have a preference, okay? We all have color preferences. We have preference all things are done. But when it really comes down to it, <laughs> does that make any difference? And yet people divided all that. We provoked one another. Yeah, in recent times, we have done it, whether it's mask or no mask, or whether it's a Democrat or a Republican, and, and the, the church has provoked one another in these particular areas. But we would call ourselves back again to what the church is all about. But we, we have biblical precedents, however, so we can feel good about this, kind of, that we're provoking one another. The same word that's used here in Hebrews is used in Acts 15.39, where Paul and Barnabas get into an argument with each other, and they so irritate one another that they split ways. And Paul takes Silas, and Barnabas takes his cousin uh, takes his cousin uh, Mark with him uh, because Paul doesn't want to take Mark on the second missionary journey. But the writer of Hebrews does something very interesting, I think. He takes a word that has a negative connotation, right? To, to spur somebody, to provoke one, somebody, to irritate one another. And he gives a positive twist to it. So he uses this negative word in a very unusual sense. He says, I want you to provoke. I want you to spur one another. I want you to incite one another. I want you to irritate one another toward love. I love you, brother. No, you don't. Not as much as I love you. I love you more. 
I want to show you I love you more. No, 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 no. I love you. I'm here. I'm going to show you. I'm going to take you to the ball game. <laughs> Next time you're in Chicago, I'm going to take you to the game. Now, it's an odd thing to see people irritating one another with showing love. But that's what the writer of Hebrews tells us to do. That's what the church ought to be doing. And that's one of the ways we could diffused affection in our own life and within the life of others and the life of the church is when we're provoking one another by showing love, that that's what we're known for. Behold how they love one another. Behold how we fulfill the two greatest commandments, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. Wouldn't that be great if that's the reputation of Christians? In fact, I was talking to somebody the other day, and he said, you know, you and I as in-house people use Christian in a positive sense because it means that we're followers of Jesus, but the world doesn't use the word Christian in a positive sense. They use it in a negative sense because they see hypocrisy, they see anger, they see judgment, uh, those kinds of things. And so Christian is a negative term for many out in the world where you and I know that it's a positive term because of it's a connection to Jesus. We need to change that view of the world. And one of the ways we can do is by provoking one another and provoking others by showing love. And then also by showing good deeds, he said. Provoke one another by showing good deeds, by being an example, by encouraging one another. And that's one of the reasons that the church is beneficial because there are so many good deeds. The church does a lot of good within the community. It does a lot of good within the world. And we need to just continue to provoke that. And we need to encourage one another to do that, to be involved in whatever ministry that God has called us to do, according to whatever giftedness he has given us so that we can make an impact within the society. A, a second help here is he, he takes again a, and says something in a, a negative way, but he means it in a positive way. He says, don't neglect the meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. In other words, he says, a way to diffuse affection is to actually meet with one another, which is what you're doing. So you're, you're here. But the early church not only met regularly, like, like Jesus did, by the way. You know, it says in, in Luke 4 that it was his custom to go into the synagogue. Every week, Jesus was in public worship. I want you to think about that for a moment. If anybody didn't need to go to church, it would be Jesus, right? I mean, he lived a pretty good life. Perfect. He knew the scripture pretty well. He helped write it has a good relationship with the Father, they're one with each other. What's he going to get out of coming to worship with a bunch of folks like you and me? But he did that every week. It was, part, it was his habit pattern of his life. Why did he do that? Because there's a dynamic of when you come together that adds to what you do with yourself there's an opportunity for him to speak into other people's lives, but also for people to speak into his life because it's a mutual relationship. It, it helps them grow. And so we can help one another by meeting with one another. And part of it is in public worship, but it goes beyond that. The early church, it says in Acts 2, met day by day. 
in people's houses. In other words, they live life together. Now, our culture is a little different. It's a little more difficult to do what they did. But my friends, we need to be involved in each other's lives and live life together. And as we do that, we know we're not alone. And even if we're struggling, we can have somebody, someone that we can share our, our struggles and our doubts with. Doubting is not bad. A lot of people think that if you doubt, you're unfaithful. No, if you don't doubt, you're not taking your faith seriously. Because there are times when you're going to doubt. You're going to think it through, but that doubt could lead you to greater faith. Some of us are going through deserts in our faith. Everybody goes through a desert. My encouragement is always this to people who are going through the deserts, keep going. If you have to, just crawl. Because there will be an oasis eventually. People do die in the desert, and that's why people do give up on the faith and walk away, because they just, they just die spiritually. But you don't have to. You can get to that oasis, and if you have somebody that can help pick you up and to be there and to encourage you and to help you and to share your struggle without being judgmental, it can make all the difference in the world. We need to meet with each other, and so that's why not only this worship, but there's men's groups and women's groups and adult Bible studies and small groups give us opportunity to be able to live life with one another on a more personal basis. But not only to meet regularly, but to meet with a purpose in mind. I, I, I read something years ago now. It was about a man who was in a construction site where some stonemasons were working. And so he started interviewing these people, and he came up to one man, and he said, Sir, uh, what, what are you doing? He says, Well, I'm, I'm earning a living cutting stones. He came to a second man. He said, sir, what are you doing? He says, I am becoming the best stonemason I possibly can be. He came to a third man. The man is cutting the stone. And he says, what, sir, what are you doing? He says, I am cutting a stone to build a cathedral to the glory of God. Each of them were on the same work site, but they were there for different levels of purpose. And some people come to church, so then kind of mark it off, right? I did my spiritual thing. I went to church this week. I feel good about that. And then just go on and live our lives. Others of us will say, I want to become the best Christian I possibly can be. And that's a very noble and a good goal. But there is something else to it is that we have come together to build a church to the glory of God. And the church isn't just here. When we leave, we are the church. And the church is everywhere in this community, in this area, as we're living our lives, doing our business, taking care of our families, doing whatever we're doing, we are the church having an impact upon the society and the people that we're around. So to have a view that we are a part of something bigger than ourselves can give purpose and meaning. In fact, there are over 2 billion Christians in the world. We are part of something huge. We may be a few, a couple hundred people here. We're the small C church, if you will, because we're the local congregation, but all of us are part of the big C church, which includes the brothers and sisters that I mentioned before. This is a struggle that we have, I think, is that we look at China, and certainly politically, they're our enemy. But those 120 150 million people 
who are Christians, they're not our enemy. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. Those 40,000 children in Egypt are part of the Big C Church, and they're a part of us, and we are a part of them. You see that we're involved in something that is having a worldwide impact. And I, help that, I think that can help the fused affection in my own life to realize it's not just what I'm doing or just what my small C church is doing. It's what God is doing throughout the world. And I can take joy and purpose in that, that I have a, I have a peace of that. And that my life really means something and this church really means something to the overall church within the world. So we are to provoke one another love and good deeds. We are to meet with one another with regularity and with purpose. But then he says, and let us encourage one another. I, I, I don't know about you, but I need encouragement. You know, they talk about the, the love languages and all that, if you've ever heard of that. And encouragement is the, 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 the one that really helps me get going. If I get encouraged, I, I'm like the dog. I'm going to go sick him, you know. You know, somebody continually beats me on the head, it, it doesn't necessarily help. Once in a while I need to be beat on the head, just ask my wife. She does a good job of it. And I need that once in a while. We all do. But encouragement can go a long way, can it? And I want to encourage you today as you're a part of the body of Christ. I want you to know that God is with you and for you. I want you to know that Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the age. That God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Not all things are good, but he works all things for good. He takes the bad and some way, somehow, brings about some good. So if you're going through that bad, I want to encourage you that God is going to be working and something good is going to result eventually in that situation. I want you to know that... Life goes beyond just what we see. We can be discouraged because of what we see in this world and we see in our lives, and even if we see the end of life. But I've, I've come to something because I'm, I'm getting a little closer to that other spot. But I've had a perspective to say, you know, I don't have a limit of time because I have forever. I have forever. You have forever. It's because of what Jesus has done. Because he's died on the cross. Because he resurrected from the dead. I have meaning and purpose for life now and I have meaning and purpose for the life to come. And so I don't need to fret about those things. I just need to live everyday life as best I can in serving him and serving others. Let, let's, let's encourage one another. Make a determination. Think when you leave this place, when you live this coming week, of who you can encourage. And try to encourage anybody, even a stranger, with a, with a smile, a, 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 a good day. I, I have a friend who had a tough life, and I won't go into all of her tough life. And uh, she died recently, but she had a, a motto in her faith. And it was always, have a joy-filled day. Make today a joy-filled day. Her life was not filled with a lot of joy because of 
the physical problems and losing a baby and dealing with other issues that she had. But she always, when the, day, the last two days of her life, she and her husband went through her phone and she either texted or called everybody in there and told them to have a joy-filled life. Day before she died, I got a text from her. I think her husband actually wrote it because she was so sick, she couldn't do it. He said, have a joy-filled life. She was dying. She knew she was going to die the next day. But she had a view of life that she was going to encourage other people every day by encouraging them. And so sometimes when I see somebody, instead of just saying, have a good day, have a joy-filled day, and it kind of throws people off because it's not what we normally say, right? But that's what we want people to have, to have joy. The joy is inside of you. Happiness is outside of you. You can be happy and unhappy on and off all day long because of what happens in your life. But if you have joy, that's something that's inside that can't be taken away. And so I encourage you to have a joy-filled day. And then he says, let's encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. And the day he's talking about is the day of Jesus' return. And I'm not a big eschatology or end times person, okay, in the sense that people are predicting and have been and continue to predict when Jesus is going to come back. I don't know if he's coming back tonight, though I think he could. I don't know if he's coming back in 2,000 years, and I know he might. I'm kind of like the young preacher down in Kentucky, down the hills. They're going to have a revival meeting. And he was calling on people, invite them to come to this revival meeting. And he came up to the house of an old man. He said, sir, are you a Christian? And the old man said, oh, Sonny, I'm not a Christian. Uh, my name is Jones. Uh, Christian lives down the street here. And the young preacher said, no, no, sir, you don't understand. He said, are you lost? And the old man said, lost? He said, son, I've lived here all my life. I know every nook and cranny, rock and reel. I know exactly where you're in. What do you mean, where are you lost? He says, well, okay, uh, do you know there's a judgment day coming? And the old man's ears perked up. He said, when's it going to be? And the young preacher said, well, I don't know. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. And the old man thought for a moment. He said, well, don't tell my wife. She'll want to go both days. Friends, I, I don't know if it's today or tomorrow, but I do know Jesus is coming back. And I want to encourage you with that, not scare you with that. I want us to encourage other people, not scare them. I want to encourage them because what that means is the wrongs of life are going to be made right. And the perfection of the garden is going to be restored. And it's never going to be destroyed again. Encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. We're closer than we've ever been, though we don't know how close we are. But we need to live every day as best we can in Christ and the church. And so I go back to Winston Churchill. Never give in. Never, ever, ever, ever give in. Never give up in Christ and the church. Because Christ and the church are better, better, better than any alternatives that we might choose. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the encouragement of the writer of Hebrews and how he spoke to them, and I hope that it speaks to us today. I thank you for this church that, that has stand 
has stood for many years upon belief in the power of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I pray for the people that are here today that you encourage them, for those that are online that you encourage them. I pray for those who have been struggling with their faith or struggling whether the church is worth it. I pray that they'll find that there's meaning and purpose in their faith and in the church and particularly in this body of believers here. I pray for for Mike and the leadership of this congregation that you just guide them, give them wisdom, and give them encouragement as they lead forward into the future. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being with us and for us. And uh, just let your Holy Spirit be a comfort to everyone. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.